Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of Event Pros. Today, we will be discussing the topic of virtual meetings and conferences. So, at full disclosure, at the time of this broadcast, we are in the midst of COVID 19, and that is our present reality. This crisis won't be around forever, but a strategy for adding a virtual component to the live meeting experience is going to be a new reality. It's going to be a really informative topic, so I'm so glad you're here with us. So, with that, let's go. You're listening to Event Pros, the event professionals roundtable featuring conversations with leaders and influencers who are shaping event culture and current trends in the industry. From Dunlop Productions, your host and show producer, Dan Dunlop. All right, everyone, well, welcome back to the show. I hope this broadcast finds each one of you healthy and well. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we are exploring virtual conferencing. Our, our, really, our goal today is uh, simply have a discussion to provide a 30,000-foot view of virtual conferencing and meetings in order to shed some light on the many possibilities that exist when it comes to virtual and on-demand meetings. But, so, but as a precursor, uh, let me say this right from the front, as we would with anything else, that, you know, that any substitution of the real there are things that virtual cannot replace. We know, for example, that it cannot duplicate the true experience factor that comes from immersive conference and meeting events. We know that it doesn't allow for human interaction that comes from spontaneous discussions down the hall and casual networking, and it really doesn't engage the multitude of of senses that comes with uh, increased learning and retention. And we also know that it, it cannot replace the intangible group dynamic that just happens as people gather together and the alignment and the ahas that come from those experiences. Um, and we know the virtual can really um, cannot really address this set-aside location factor. You know, we know that in gatherings, in a set-aside space allows for increased focus and attention, and uh, location really is an important part to the success component. But And lastly, we know that we've been reminded here ever so lately and clearly that we are social creatures. We are wired for connectivity and interaction and encounters, and the live gathering experience allows for all of that. But as we're seeing, gathering is not always possible. Whether you're, whether in a, pr- a pandemic situation or not, it, is, it, is, it may be time for the, uh, an offering of multiple ways for people to connect to your message. And with that said, there are some very real things that virtual conferencing can accomplish. For example, we can disseminate information very well. We can teach and we can train quite effectively. And with a virtual audience, you're able to send a different type of audience dynamic. Uh, There is also, you know, less obstacles resulting in the potential of a larger audience, potentially, potentially even a global audience. And while we may not be able to engage all the senses that lead to learning experience, we are able to offer a key component of retention, and that is repetition. With an opportunity to readily replay the content as much as you like, there are some advantages over life. So, well, today I want to expand the discussion with a few subject matter experts, and I'm joined today by a few of my production partners from On Services, joining from their respective remote locations today. It's a pleasure to have with us uh, Levi Bulkley, Kirk Sabota, and Vanessa Kelly. But uh, by way of introduction, On Services is a national audiovisual company that supports many 
of the nation's largest conferences and event experiences. And they are also wonderful collaborative partners to companies like Dunlop Productions that partner in assisting us with our events and meetings. And we have worked together with some very large projects. And if you have or had the opportunity to listen to our podcast from last session with guest Julie Burns, we spoke in depth about EarthX and the largest environmental show in the world right now. On Services was an important part uh, and, and a partner with me in that endeavor. But here lately, On Services has once again been demonstrated their agility and ability to assist companies that need to deliver the message in a way that is not hindered by gathering. And at the time of this podcast uh, recording, we are in the midst of COVID-19 and the restrictions of travel and gathering are our present reality. But I do believe even after this crisis is over, an awakening of the virtual component will be a part of our conference landscape for the foreseeable future. And for that reason, I wanted to devote a discussion to the opportunities that exist in this area. So Levi, if I may, um, I, you and I have worked together with some very memorable projects through the years, but I'm curious to hear what your shifts, what shifts you're seeing in virtual conference and live stream is happening in the marketplace right now. Well, Daniel, thanks for having us. And we really appreciate this opportunity to be on the program. Uh, we're obviously seeing a major shift in our industry, and this is unprecedented and really unexpected. Um, but I'm encouraged that people are keeping calm and finding ways to carry on uh, in the events world for the time being. Um, many events are continuing on and being adapted, at least in part, in, in virtual. Uh, as you've said, virtual meetings can't uh, you know, fully replace uh, live events. But I think we're finding ways to adapt and to, you know, limp through during this time. Uh, there's a lot of different events with different needs and different objectives. Uh, for example, some training events that um, are mandatory that people um, have certifications and, and things of that nature. So not all events are necessarily centered around physical connection and interaction. So um, in the sense of being able to disseminate information with technology, we're able to uh, to keep up with that, I think, in this day and age, uh, you know, better than if this would have happened 5, 10, 15 years ago uh, mm -hmm. with the infrastructure that's really been built around digital meetings, virtual meetings. Yeah, it makes sense. And Vanessa, I'm wondering from your perspective, are you seeing any new adoptability to virtual conferences changing with all of this going on right now? I think, um, you know, right now people are really looking for ways to connect and they're open to virtual options like never before. Uh, you've got every aspect of life really shifting to virtual uh, spaces from school to church to work. Um, so meetings, events and conferences are no different. Um, life doesn't have to stop, and virtual solutions are giving the closest sense of normalcy that we can get right now. Um, for those who had face-to-face -face events planned, don't let the fear of the virtual unknown stop you uh, from exploring your options. You know, that's that's what I think. Um, I feel like we're living in a space of, you know, if you build it, they will come. So <laughs> I think adaptability and adoptability is definitely um you know, people are definitely open to it. Yeah, I agree with that. And Kirk, you and I had a really interesting chat the other day as we were talking through some of the what's happening in the virtual conference space. 
But would you take a minute to just kind of level set some basic terms with us? Maybe describe live streaming versus virtual event, you know, because we're, we're, there's a lot of terms coming at us right now. So let's kind of level set some of those terms. That'd be helpful. Yeah, thank you. And I really appreciate being here. Um, definitions are very important because they're the foundation of all of our communications. Um, that being said, you know, for, for in my mind, the definition of a truly virtual event is an event that's 100% recorded from from the technical side, from the presenting side, from the participant side, they are all connected, interconnected through the power of the internet. That is a truly virtual event. Um, that event may exist in the real-time space as a streaming element, which means it's happening, the, the talking is happening at the same time where a majority of the viewership is happening. And that's a good definition there. Or it may also have legs, and I like to say that because like uh, when Levi was talking about the educational event, you know, education events, which are very uniquely and in, in, in detailed engaging the content, those can exist for six or eight months after the fact. And you can get that incremental viewership as people need to refresh, as new people are onboarded and they want to understand what the sales goals are for the organization. So there's a lot of stuff there. And then the, the other thing is a, a um, hybrid event, which is the third category, just to put that out there, is an event where you mix and match things. You have some live um, engagement because you want that that freshness of authenticity that a person has when they're when they're talking that first time about something. But you also have other sessions and maybe subsessions or breakouts or ancillary meetings, product demonstrations where you would want a um, that to be pre-recorded. You know, a great example is. Um, we have a virtual capabilities presentation that by the end of this week, I will have given 12 times. And I can assure you from the first time I've given it on Monday to the last time I give it on Friday, that presentation, the quality, the energy, the the presentation, I'll do my best, but there will be changes, subtle changes in, in what becomes relevant. And some of that is organic to the audience I'm talking to, but some of that is just because in my mind, I've said this 12 times. And, and in a virtual meeting, that's much more realistic than in the live space. In the live space, a, a presenter always feeds on the audience. And I remember all the live events I did, whenever I spoke at a live event, I fed on the audience and I got their energy. If they were a high energy, engaged group, I was, it was contagious. Absolutely. You know, so does that answer the question? Yeah, it I does. Think? It really does. Great. Because, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there. I feel like, you know, where I have streamed events that are live, um, it has been almost like a, oh, we're offering a live stream, but I'm, I'm noticing, I don't think that that is going to be good enough going forward because there's there's a sense of, yeah, we offered it, but it wasn't intentional enough. It, it didn't, it, the speakers never addressed the, the, the uh, live, uh, the virtual audience or, you know, the PowerPoint wasn't really directed well for people who are watching, you know, on their small screens at home. There, there wasn't the, the forethought to really include the audience and embrace them as, as a legitimate audience other than just, hey, we're doing this. I really think going forward, we're going to see a, a stepped up live stream if it's a hybrid or if it's a, a true on, you know, virtual conference, but maybe the gone are the days of, hey, we have we have this option, feel free to find it if you can, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, um, so take us through, if you would, Kirk, just maybe just, um, you know, how a virtual conference could be structured. You know, I mean, everything from the general session breakouts, kind of give us an overview of what that looks like, because I'm sure there's some folks listening that, you know, this is all new. And it's like, how do we even go about this? Just kind of paint the picture for us from those two areas, if you would. Sure. Um yeah, there's a couple considerations. One is, um, and I, I like to say that 
a, a live event is driven by an agenda and that agenda drives the audience through the different experiences. And and that motion and that energy, we, we do that very well. We're a $17 billion worldwide industry that can produce live events. And and we have the experience and the skills to deliver that event, event well. Uh, not all of those um, mindsets and, and agenda breakdowns and, and how information is portrayed works well when integrated into a virtual event. Because in a virtual event, like I said earlier, the, the presenter in a live event engages that audience and feeds off that audience. In a virtual event, you look at the talking head for about three seconds and just kind of mostly, I honestly look at it and say, Oh, what's in his back back of the screen space? What's behind Vanessa right now? Okay, now I know it's her personality a little bit. And then after that, I'm engaging the content and I'm looking at the slides and I'm I'm diving deeply into that. Um, in those differences of the event, um, that's a key takeaway is is the fact that the content becomes much more supreme than than the uh, than the agenda. The agenda drives people and people interactions. The content drives. Um, engagement in a virtual world. The other thing is um, when I'm sitting in a ballroom, Cincinnati Convention Center, let's say, and I'm sitting in that ballroom and I'm listening to that speaker, she has my attention. She's, I'm listening to her. I'm enraptured by what she's saying and I'm interested in what she's saying. When I'm at my computer and I'm attending a virtual event, well, I may be looking at an Instagram feed over here and I may be looking at CNN over here and and I'm and there are distractions that that you need to compete with whether you like it or not. It's incumbent on us as professionals to help our clients and help the meeting owners and the and the product owners to craft a message that is deliverable in this new world, which is a world where engagement is a competition. You know, there's a reason why TV shows now have two people talking because humans like interaction. So that implies that a panel discussion amongst two key keynote leaders in a, in a virtual session has more value than maybe one keynote because the keynote may talk too long, may have this, may it doesn't get your interest, but the panel discussion may be a good dialogue. And we're social creatures, we feed off that dialogue. I think we all know that in, in our discussion here as, me, as well as many of the, the audience. So that's another element is, is changing how we package the information so it raises the threshold. Um, one other thing I was thinking of is, and you know, in the, in the world of live events, a lot of events I've been to kick off with a very strong sizzle reel at the beginning to kind of get that energy level high in the room. And then the presenters, because of interest and engagement and talent as, as presenting their information, are able to keep that energy level high in the room throughout the duration of the event. That's a very different feeling. And one of the things in a virtualized event Rather than have a really big video in the beginning, maybe you do four or five smaller videos interspaced throughout the the summary of the agenda. So you constantly have these refresh points and you constantly have that. Um, are those uh, some good examples? Yeah, there's, it is. And you know what? Uh, in prepping for this show, I came across uh, a research poll and now it's a, a year or two old. But I found this so interesting that according to a four-star research poll, user, users um, – in live video tend to watch 10 to ti- 10 to 20 times longer than on-demand content. So when something is being streamed live, there is a, there's a, 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 a magnet factor or suction factor, whatever the attachment factor that 10 to 20 times longer in a live stream event 
than just an on de- a normal on-demand video like you'd find anywhere else. So there, you're, you're onto something there. I really believe that um, when we can harness the harness the audience well um, and also adjust that message, um, I think we're, we're we may be. Anyone else have anything else to say on that? Because I think that's I see some heads nodding, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, in, what would we do in a hybrid situation? So we know that you know um, you know live gatherings will come back, but how do we, now do we harness both, you know, and is there a way to, to make both successful? The thing about a hybrid event is, again, it's always about the content. There's two things you can't escape from, which is what are you trying to accomplish in the communication of information? And, and to me, this goes back to my days studying marketing, which is deliver and connect to the people. Um, if you want a peer-to-peer collection of people where they're exchanging ideas, nights at the round table, and small group interactions, that's one set of tools and that's one type of meeting. And that obviously can't be a pre-recorded, pre-canned component because you're not going to get the same energy, but you are going to get that creativity. Um, if if an event lends itself to uh, things that come to mind are continuing medical education, um, product certifications to be allowed to sell products, onboarding new employees. There's a lot of nuggets of information out there that really do lend itself because it's precise, it's technical, it's it's a specific engagement for a specific end result, which is certification or accreditation or something like that. All the colleges and universities um, in their in their plenary type discussions all lend themselves to that reality of pre-recording. And um, and that's the thing. Now, how do you make it work successfully both ways and integrate that? Well, that's some of that's obviously trade secrets on the part of my company because, you know, we do it well. But um, it's it's an awareness and having the virtual stage managers engage the information with the client, walk them through what their objectives are for all the subsets, making sure that we understand as we're crafting it, we figure out which ones lend itself to one or the other. And that's really what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that for anyone here, but do you think that on-air hosts, MCs, you know, aid in that process for the the at-home audience, if you will? I think so. I think it points back to what Kirk was saying about, you know, keeping that energy up. If you have someone that is, um, you know, skilled at that, you know, if they're, they're someone that they're used to engaging audiences and picking up energy, that's going to serve you better than, you know, pulling the VP of whatever, who's, you know, he might be brilliant at what he does, but he might not be the most engaging or personable uh, person. He might not be the biggest personality, right? So I think definitely um, that's something to consider, Um, even in just helping keep with the flow. You know, one of my favorite random industry terms is the voice of God. So, I mean, just think about how they keep things going and they keep things in, they keep the audience engaged. And it's, it's a skill. They bring in someone most of the time to um, to manage that piece of it. So I think you're definitely, that's a great point in considering um, an on-air host to definitely keep that energy up and keep things moving, keep up engagement. Well, and I would say, you know, in regards to hybrid events, I think you're going to see this becoming the new normal because, mm-hmm. you know, in a pre-crisis world, um a lot of events did not have any sort of a virtual component, uh, and some were were either or. Um, but I think in this, you know, this this world that we're going to be emerging from, uh, moving forward, I think hybrid events are the new normal. I think most people are going to expect 
some level of contingency plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a host of benefits outside of just the concept of bringing an event into somebody's, you know, office or living room. It's 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 not just mm-hmm. uh, posterity. It, it opens the event up to a broader audience. Um, some localized events are now, uh, you know, essentially global, uh, and and they can bring audiences in from you know around the world. There's a lot of benefits, but I think people are are seeing, you know, before it was maybe a luxury or or people weren't wrapping their heads fully around the benefits of having a virtual component to their live event. And now I think everybody can see clearly that that is, it's, it's, it's going to be the new normal. Yeah. I'd have to agree. You know, I watch a lot of, you know, award shows and, you know, the, we've become very accustomed to, you know, the MC or lack of MC, I guess now, but I, they, there's an added element that the, uh, the at-home audience gets to see is the behind the scenes. So that awardee comes off stage and they're usually taking their pictures as they're getting, you know, more, more the paparazzi there. But, you know, if that, if that, um, if that on-air MC was right behind stage when that CEO came off from, from their keynote and asked a few key questions, now the audience at home is getting a little insight into things that the, the, the live audience didn't yeah. get. So there's some intentionality that you can really do to just kind of up the, uh, the exclusivity right. factor. Yeah, that is know? a good so point. So I think, you know, just take some good cues from, from, um, from our, from our Hollywood <laughs> producers as well, but well, uh, that's good. Well, I, I was going to yeah. say on that, on the heels of that is I, I'm old enough to remember when a news show was a single person sitting behind a, a desk and it was one voice talking and, and that was enough engagement to, to enrapture an audience, you know, Walter Cronkite, the most trustworthy man yeah, in the world. Exactly. And now you look at the online um, cable news channels, whichever flavor you choose, and they're all multiple speakers with a scroll, with a secondary scroll, with lower thirds. There's so many levels of engagement. It's And it's because the audience is demanding that level of engagement to qualify your viewership. You know, and, and I think we need, as we move into the virtual space, we need to have that awareness that, you know, you really need to have all those elements because we're engaging at so many levels and we're multitasking so hard that we're used to it and we're just in that space. Here's a random aside. I think my favorite part of all of this uh, that's happening right now is watching all of the news people broadcast from their basements in their living rooms. To yeah. Kirk's point, it's like, oh, their their background is... <laughs> Just to see how they're living. <laughs> yeah, right. You're right. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a, there's a human right. factor. It's yeah. like, wow, that's interesting. Your dog, your dog, you you have a cocker spaniel. Okay, <laughs> didn't know that, Stephen Colbert. All right, exactly. very awesome. good. Yeah. You know, there. When I think about a, a normal conference, an event, there are so many um, there are so many components to that, and um, and we probably could take two hours for all this. But I thought, you know, maybe uh, if we if you guys would be open to a little rapid fire. Um, kind of questions. Maybe I'll throw out, throw out a question and you guys kind of respond however you want, but it, it will, we'll be able to cover a little more territory because there's so many pieces to, to a conference, especially our event planners who are listening. It's like, well, what about this? What about that? So I tried to come up with seven or eight different other side, other things beyond general sessions. So let me fire away and you guys answer. How will you? So here's the first one, expo. How do we do an expo? In virtual. Um, I'll take that one. Uh, first of all, I go back to what do you mean by an expo? Um, you know, it's again that question of commonality and de- definition. You know, there are those virtu- those virtual 
need for a virtual trade show. There is need for exposition of product and exposition of inventory. We just I'm just working with a client right now who's going to do a virtual product demonstration to all their buyers from all the different companies they sell to because they would normally have a live event and they just can't do it in the COVID world. So, you know, we're talking to them and we're brainstorming back and forth about how to make it engaging and deep. And this is a, this is a product that the buyers need to touch. It's not, you know, it's not some abstract thing like, Oh, I'm buying 3000 pounds of ore. It's, it's, it's a tangible, durable retail good. And, and it's a whole new world because they're going to want to touch it. They're going to want to, uh, feel it and how do we emulate that as best we can in the virtual environment um and and we came up with some good answers i'll say admittedly but but um but a lot of that and that lends itself to that hybrid meeting that's all going to be pre-recorded so we're sure from marketing sign off sales support sign off sales sign off that all the correct things are being said about that product because it's imperative um you know as an example um, but that's that's what I think of expos. Um, obviously, there's a million other iterations, but I think of exposition of products and that works. Um, so there you go. Yeah. OK, good. I, I attend a uh, conference each summer that's matchmaking sessions are very, very important. Um, how do we how do we go about uh, making matchmakers happen in a virtual context? I'll take this one. Um, you know, I think there's a there's a couple of different ways that you could do this, and that really depends on the, the scale of the event. Um, you know, I've been a part of events that have small matchmaking sessions, and I've been a part of some that have thousands of people that they're connecting in real time. Um, so as you can imagine, the, the scope of something like that could actually be pretty huge. But anything scalable, and it, it really just is a... Uh, a problem of scale, I think, and bandwidth uh, and personnel and coding to basically scale that up to, to however it needs to be in terms of the size. Um, but that's a pretty straightforward situation where I think you can develop, you know, a two-way communication, very simple room to have people connect in Um and if you're talking about matchmaking from a like a reverse trade show perspective, that's the way that I envision that, um, you know, being being more of a kind of like this, a virtual meeting space uh, where two people are able to engage via their webcam and, you know, have have their time, um, you know, in, in a more simple rudimentary type setting. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. So c- connectivity is a big part of conferencing, obviously, and usually that happens mostly in breakouts and even even the table discussions within a breakout, you know, breakouts within breakouts. Is that possible in a virtual world? And how, how do you go? How do you do that? Yeah, it's it's definitely possible. Um, it just depends on, you know, your uh, the the need and matching it with the, you know, the platform, but it's definitely something that's doable. I've uh, participated in some just taking um, different classes online and things like that. That's definitely something that is it's viable where, uh, you know, the full group was in and then we got sectioned out into smaller groups. And all of a sudden we we looked around and we were like, hey, can you hear me? And there were there were only three of us then. So <laughs> it's definitely something that's out there. It's doable. It's happening. Um, and it's, it's something that should absolutely be implemented as people are exploring, you know, how to, how to navigate their meetings. Good deal. Mm-hmm. 
What about what about uh, translation? You know, is translation possible? And what about you know those who are hearing impaired? How? What are some workarounds and uh, solutions for that? Yeah, there's there's some some things we've done in this area. First of all, I mean, if it's if it's a pre-can scenario, um, you can obviously do um, um, closed captioning on the bottom for the hearing impaired and stuff like that, and that's all possible. You can do live real-time closed captioning, usually like uh, similar to the way of they do it on, on uh, live TV shows. But the problem is there's always a delay and, you know, that always drives me crazy. And there's always the typos because the, the person, he or she is typing as fast as they can. So to keep up. So there's always that struggle. Um, some other innovative solutions that I've worked with in this area is um, for live simultaneous translation, you know, partner with a company that has relationships with a live simultaneous translation, which is a very specific skill set if you haven't worked with it. Um, you know, usually you have multiple people for each language. And then, like, depending upon the number of languages you have to hit, if you need to hit, let's, let's say, Portuguese, Spanish, and French, or, or Mandarin, then you'd have um, a separate conference line for each of those, make that available in the, in the uh, invite and all of that, so people can log in. And then you'd through, because um, again, in a, in a COVID world, we're not supposed to have groups gathering together, so they're not going to be in some virt- some real studio somewhere. So you could have the two virtual translators listening in and speaking in the secondary language, and then they coordinating back and forth through a chat medium to make sure they do the handoffs and no words get lost. Um, the last thing is for the hearing impaired. One thing I've seen work is, again, use that same professional translators who are certified in ASL as a second language. And it would be the same thing. In that case, use a full-size room he- um, webcam, recording them properly lit. You probably want to do some investment, get them an RE light kit so they, they're properly lit and well, easy to be seen. But but you can really do that in someone's house even. is I could set up, a, in the room I'm in right now, I could set up an RE light kit and a, a webcam on a tripod and I could dance in front of it and you wouldn't want to see me dance. That's a whole separate discussion. But, but that notwithstanding, um, that is a very credible way. And then you just bring that in as a panel discussion. You always have a secondary talking head, which would be the full body shot of the, of the American sign person or the ASL, American Sign Language Qualified Translator, doing that. Now, I do not know if you need two of them and you have to coordinate back and forth. That I don't know because I've never done that virtually to know how long they can sign before they need a break. Um, but but understand, live simultaneous translation, whether through ASL or American Sign Language or another language, is a very emotionally and, and intellectually draining thing. So... <laughs> but those are some ways you can address it. That's good. Good. And, you know, sponsorships can often be the financial lifeblood of a conference, you know, and how is that, how is some, what are some ways sponsorship can get, you know, front, front billing and, you know, the exposure that they generally would have if it were a live show? I think um, sponsorship might actually, this might be one of the easiest things in a virtual realm because there's so many more options and opportunities. Um, I think you kind of hit the ceiling in a, a live event space with sponsorship. You know, we've all seen the, um, the logo in the, uh, you know, the presentation role or, um, the logo in the bulletin or the handout, you know, if it's, if it's more traditional, um, and, and things of that nature, but in a live, uh, I'm sorry, in a, a virtual meeting, um, sponsorship opportunities, I think, can be more tangible. You can link mm-hmm. directly to 
products and services and specific videos. You know, it can it can be a little more on demand as well because you know people would have the ability to um, at their leisure go through some of the sponsorships materials as, as opposed to in a live audience. You have to remember that logo. You have to remember that. Um, you know, to go back and look at something and who remembers to do that. But in a, in a virtual meeting space where you can have hot links there and supplemental materials, and that's just scratching the surface. Yeah. You could have a watermark for that whole session, right? It's constantly there. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's true. We are very used to all those ways. So that's, that's actually really, really insightful, Levi. Um, on this question regarding security, I, I want to just ask the question. I know it could be a very deep, deep dive on this, but I want to just just touch base on it, both from protecting information and also preserving the paid audience. You know how how do we address those issues? I think there's definitely, you know, I'm not a security expert, but I can speak to the fact that we've we've seen concerns. Um, of course, if any technology as it becomes more used and more prevalent you'll see exploits. And we've seen some uh, exploits in some popular consumer-grade um, uh, meeting softwares. I won't name names, but uh, I think a lot of us have seen a, a major um, issue that came up. And so it's a concern. People are asking us about it, you know, and that's something that we address using our... Um, the, the proprietary systems that we use, we make sure that those uh, don't have vulnerabilities uh, or they haven't been exposed to those things. Um, that's definitely a, a multi-tiered question, and I think there's there's a whole lot to unpack there. But um, Kirk, you have any any thoughts here on as far as the um, talking about the paywall, uh, Daniel? Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, too. That's the other part of it is, you know, the the oftentimes these are register these are more um, they're open audiences, not info, info infrastructure for a company, but they but they are still a, a fee to participate, and we want to make sure that's that's preserved. You know, it's not uh, yeah random that anyone can just join. Yeah, and again, most most streaming, um, you know, and again, trying to be white label and not talk about specific products A or B. Um, you know, most streaming technologies have a level of integration with a paywall system or you have the ability to do that. Or alternatively, and we've done this a number of times, is we integrate it with the the rest of the meeting um, website. So it's the paywall is actually in the meeting website organically and not necessarily as an add-on to the virtual stream, so to speak. The other consideration, and, and this is what's interesting, is on that old on-demand component, one of the places that might be an unforeseen revenue generation is the late participants. You know, I'm not I'm unable to fly to Cincinnati again to go to that convention because I have a conflict on my schedule. But I'd love to go to this meeting next week and I'm willing to drop my credit card and pay three hundred seventy five bucks, you know, and and go to that meeting. You know, so there there is one of those things that might be a benefit in the virtual space because you since everything's being captured, everything's going to exist for a period of time under security, protected, like you were talking about, Daniel, that might be a benefit. Yeah. And you actually just brought my last question because that's really important is the on-demand factor. We don't usually have that in a live audience, live show. So to have that readily available um, could be some additional revenue streams. 
you, you all, this you, you write this. We are touching just the surface of so much of what is happening right now. You know, and on this show, we generally will do an interview for the for the first half and the second half. We're dealing with trends in the twenties, but quite frankly, I think this is our our new trend uh, right now, and more than ever before, the timeline for virtual has moved up moved us into current thinking. So, we, we are all processing much of this in real time, and. Um, and that's why I asked uh, some great subject matter guests who are, are already in the space. The truth is, it's not new to us. It's just the adoptability and the and the um, moving forward, like to the to the front burner, is new um, in terms of that. So I, I I really appreciate companies like On Services that have already been in the space, already proven technology. It's not experimental. It's not um, what are we going to do now. It's just it's unrolling that in a new way. So for those who have ears to listen, um, can feel comfortable with that. So, so with that, I want to just kind of close with this. Um, each of you are dealing with this every day in new ways. I just kind of want to hear maybe some key considerations for, uh, from your perspective to our listeners and our, our listeners are, are, are in the event space. And many of them are event planners professionally for their corporate, um, uh, uh, connections as well as just, uh, their, their producers who are doing other meetings, but just from your perspective, being in this space, um, what are some con- uh, key considerations that you'd like to share with our visitors or our, our listeners today? And and uh, and Kirk, let me start with you. What what would you want to share with our listeners on your final thoughts? Well, um, for me, it's it's really about the understanding of the evolution of content and and how you package the information, how you present it, the the constraints you put on yourself and your team and your presenters as you're building the event. So it's it it overcomes the obstacles. Uh, that we're going to deal with in this virtual environment. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a core value of, our, of my company to um, it's a core value of my company to always help it make it easy for the presenter. We don't want the presenter to walk up to the podium and not know what they're doing. We don't want them to feel like they're distracted by having to worry about the technology that it took to put on the live event. Likewise, in the virtual arena, we want the presenter to feel comfortable so they can focus on what matters to the presenter, which is the content. The messaging is what matters. So we try to really adapt ourselves that way. So that's that's my takeaway. Awesome. Great. Vanessa, what about you? Key consideration. Um, yeah, definitely along those same lines around content, is considering your audience. Um, you know, we talked about energy levels and engagement and things like that. So we definitely want to consider your audience's needs, um, their abilities. You know, I think everyone is open to, um, when we talked about adaptability, I think everyone is definitely more open to virtual events, but everyone might not be um, as technologic, technologically comfortable with things. So making sure that, you know, even directions and, you know, making it as simple as possible, making sure that people understand how to engage and, and understand the steps that it takes to get to be a part of it. Um, just making sure that you, you speak to your audience um, in a language that they'll, they'll understand. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Thank you for that. Levi, Levi how about you from your perspective? Well, in the in the words of uh, the great Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, <laughs> oh, life <laughs> finds a way. <laughs> um, I think it's important for us to continue to use ingenuity to solve uh, tomorrow's problems. We might not have a crystal ball to tell us uh, what's going to happen, but uh, I think we need to continue to be aware of what's happening, putting our heads together and adapting to it and, and, you know, keeping moving. Um, virtual conferences won't replace live events. Um, but 
they're an excellent option right now during a crisis. And in a post-COVID-19 world, I think this is the having a virtual component of a meeting is uh, is essential. And I think we're just seeing sort of a, a pre-COVID, post-COVID uh, timeline right now at, at this point in history. And this is where we are. So I think if we adapt, uh, we can we can sustain it. We can we can make it through. Wow, excellent. And if I were to close with uh, anything, it really kind of tagging on to what you just said, Levi. What I, when when a person or a company is deciding on virtual conferencing, if it's for them, uh, before you can really get into how much is it going to cost factor, you really have to ask yourself some other questions about your meeting culture and what you need to have happen because that drives that answer. You know, For example, how essential is human connectivity to the success of your meeting? For some, it's just really all about, it's very critical, You know that, that connection. So you've got to find ways for, for that to happen. For others, it's more message-driven and content-driven. You know? And so others, the, the, uh, they're more sponsor-focused or they're more networking-focused or training-driven. You know? um, I, I would also say, what do your reviews from past years tell you what is important to your attendees? And when you know that answer, it helps drive that, you know, helps drive that structure. And from there, then we can get into the pricing and say what, what looks right for you based on those parameters. Because there really are a lot of ways to structure virtual conferences. And, and that doesn't mean to be a complex um, way to look at it, but it, 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 look at it as it's very flexible to what your needs are. And so that can be built into it. So, and like I said, this is not new. This is um, this is not experimental. Um, the only difference is we're just we're just it's becoming more mainstream quite suddenly. And uh, with that, we're we're ready. So, um, and we know that nothing can ever really take the place of human contact inter- interaction, but we can offer experiences that can still lead to transformation and growth through through these uh, mediums. So, um, I just want to say special thanks to Kurt, Kirk, and Vanessa and Levi for joining us from On Services today. You guys are. You guys are just out there, and you know the ability and agility that you are uh, uh, leading is uh, really, uh, it's really uh, phenomenal. So thank you for that, and uh, and all the folks, and all the folks at On Services, and uh, and of course to our audio engineer Leonard Walston for uh, connecting us, providing the engineering and recording to make all this possible today. And you're just living, Leonard, what it means to have a, a live event. We can do it. So thank you for that. So. So with that, we will all return to our quarantine existences. And as we say at the end of every good show, whether it be live or virtual now, that's a wrap. Mm-hmm.